I just realized that uh, the mic has been turned off. So we're going to restart. <laughs> we're going to back up and goddammit do the intro again. Okay, we're starting from scratch again. We had some technical issues and uh, <laughs> the sound wasn't plugged all the way in. So I do apologize for the uh, first couple minutes there. But basically, I'm going to recap. What I was talking about was this past weekend has been September 11th. Today is the 12th. If you remember... Uh, Glenn Beck started the 912 commission. We're gonna find out what happened on 9-11 and, and, and fight back and all this stuff. Uh, and there's like two types of people in my internet world over the weekend. Um, and I was saying that there's the people who are like your standard neocon patriots who they they love America and they're not like, you know, communists and, and, and fascists and, and want us to live under totalitarianism, but they're just a little bit wrapped up in the uh, mainstream narrative and they don't really question it. They're just like, remember 9-11 and, and a lot of them uh, are people who like lost somebody. Um like a loved one on that day. And so some people don't want to get too deep because the point is that anytime you have a tragic thing like this, it causes a lot of emotions, right? And when people are emotional, it makes it difficult to have open and honest conversations. And the government knows this, right? That's why they're constantly putting fear porn into the news cycle, right? They just want you to be freaked out all the time. Um, and, and they want that fear because, well, frankly, it's profitable. I mean, it really is. It keeps people checking the news, glued to the TV if they still use TV, they're looking at your news streams on the internet. They're looking at the, you know, they're clicking through the ads and everybody's getting ad revenue because people are scared of something, you know, and that's nothing new. Um, it's not just since we live in a, in the information age internet culture, it's not new that, that the media has peddled fear and it's not new that, oh, well, you know, that's just something since, since uh, Trump came through or something, you know, no, this, they've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, and so we get these people who haven't gone too deep into the narrative because of all the fear and emotion that surrounds it. And they just put up, you know, remember 9-11, never forget. And then the other half of my internet sphere is like, all posting truther stuff all weekend, uh, posting things about 
I mean, every different possible theory you could talk about about 9-11 has been up there at one point or another. And this weekend, they are all all coming out, all the different documentaries, uh, them talking to, you know, interviews, uh, discussing how it's jet fuel can't melt steel beams type of uh, vibes, you know, all that, all that kind of like technical stuff, people saying they didn't see planes, people, all the different stuff. And of course, inevitably you have feds. Our, our favorite fans, the feds, uh, of course, it, every time 9-11 comes around, you have feds in the algorithm trying to tell you that it was some specific ethnic group that you be, need to be upset at, of course, uh, over 9-11, rather than the system, the governments of the world, or anything like that, or even the United States government specifically. No, you need to be hating uh, the, either the Muslims or the Jews. Uh depending on which website you're looking at or whose, you know, channel. Uh, don't don't forget that the, the jihadis did this or don't forget that the Jews did this. And it's kind of funny because Jews and jihadis, I mean, obviously most jihadis are not going to be fans of Jews. And most Jews are not going to be fans of jihadis, unless they're like happen to be Jews who are also jihadis or something. But generally speaking, those are kind of two mutually exclusive groups. So it's kind of funny how they both get the blame for 9-11. But it's all subterfuge because if there's any conspiracy, it's not amongst the entirety of any fucking ethnic group. First of all, there's never been any conspiracy among the entirety of any ethnic group ever. Okay. There's no like all white people were together on this thing. There's no all black people were together on this. There's no all the Jews were together on this. There's no uh, all the Muslims were together on this. There's no all the uh, Kurds were, you know, you could you could name any uh, ethnic or ethno-religious group and they have never been uniformly in agreement on anything but of course the feds will tell you that oh you know the muslims did 9-11 you know if you still believe that shit i got some fucking swampland to sell you in brooklyn all right because let's get real folks maybe they hired some muslims there's maybe a couple muslims involved but Get real, folks. I mean, I hate to break it to you, boomers and neocons and stuff, but you don't have to be a fucking leftist to think something was fishy about 9-11 or to think that Bush was crooked or to think, uh, I mean, any any of these like outside of the narrative things, you don't have to be a communist or a leftist to doubt the narrative that the government provides you just because there was a Republican rhino in office at the time doesn't 
mean that everything that happened under their watch was like cool or something. Even if I thought that George Bush was super great, awesome, best president ever, George W., even if I thought he was like the super coolest guy, how ridiculous would it be for me to think that, well, he during his presidency, everything about the government was good. Like people do that shit with Trump too. Like I said uh, last week, yeah, maybe the one guy was friendly to the public or something or to you specifically, but the government is never your friend. It's not. I don't care who you are. If you're not the government, they ain't your friend. So, uh, so anyway, over the weekend, I had, it was like, yeah, remember 9-11. And then the other half of the people, yeah, well, don't forget that it was an inside job, though, you know? So, it, it, I mean, it's it gets pretty contentious. Um, and it just made me think how that was like, at least in my lifetime, that was the biggest or the first major uh, false flag that they used to really infringe upon our liberties. Um, obviously, in recent years, we've seen the you know, coronavirus, stuff like that. We've seen that amplified exponentially, and they have, you know, perfected it into a science of oppression and tyranny. Uh, but realistically, 9-11 started it. It was the first time that people gave up a little bit of freedom uh, basically because we were told there's an emergency. Like, that's the same thing that they did for coronavirus. And it's so typical of government to use something emotional like, emergency, emergency, there's terrorists trying to kill you. There's a deadly virus. Something that's threatening your life, they have to make up in order to get you to comply with them. Otherwise, who would listen to the government? If everything was hunky-dory and everybody's life was chilling and la-da-dee, la-da-da, oh, yeah, she's homeless, that's too bad. You know, like, you would go through life being, oh, you know, whatever, and, and, and you wouldn't be angry at the government, right? Like, if they were good and nice people. But, <laughs> I don't know. I digress. Uh, we're going to take a brief intermission here. And uh, you can just watch this couple, uh, almost five minutes. I might not take the intermission that long. But um, there's five minutes of Bush sitting in a room listening to kids chant something, uh, which had to do with steel, kites, and planes. Uh, but yeah, he just gets told that we're being attacked, supposedly. And he doesn't look like shocked, nervous, surprised. 
he just kind of sits there until the little program that they're doing is over with. So uh, enjoy this uncomfortable footage of George W. Bush on the morning of September 11th, 2001, and uh, I'll be right back.
Was that uncomfortable? It should be. Because how the hell would you react if you were the leader of a nation and somebody just told you some unprecedented shit like plane just flew into the World Trade Center. We're under attack. Or similar. Somebody just whispered that shit in your ear. Do you just sit there and go, No, you don't, unless you already fucking knew about it, bro. I'm sorry. Unless the dude is on some kind of fucking crazy drugs that turns off his brain and emotions. No reasonable, rational person would sit there the way that man did for over five minutes. When he's the leader, he's the one that's supposed to be in control and making He's the decider. Remember, he said that I'm the decider. That's a George W. Bush quote. I'm the decider. What was he? He decided on just chilling there, huh? Just that's what he decided. <coughs> so. In light of the September 11th. Uh weekend having just passed it got me thinking that that was the beginning of the panopticon right where the you know we need to give up a little bit of freedom for security and so we can all be safe <clears throat> safe from terrorism and like that was really believable for a lot of people more people probably took that seriously than the virus in this country. Um, but remember, 9-11 was primarily aimed at taking the American freedoms away, but it did set a precedent for security measures for terrorism uh, around the world. So that was the beginning of the Panopticon uh, for real. They've always been expanding government surveillance. The government's always been getting more and more in our business, probably since, oh, at least War of 1812, probably. Um, and it got me thinking about how more people who still believe in freedom need to have a parallel economy um, <clears throat> more so than ever before. So I want to talk a little bit about agorism, A-G-O-R-I-S-M, agorism, uh, and what that is and what that means and how you do it. So... Agorism is essentially the black market. Uh, <clears throat> agorism is counter economics, um, wherein you function outside of the government monitored and government controlled economic system. <clears throat> 
obviously, uh, agorism is a stream of capitalist thought. Uh, it is anarcho-capitalist, basically, uh, aka far right. And I don't mean spooky racist guys that the media made up. I mean actual on the scale of left to right. It's 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 far right. Uh, and agorism is usually <clears throat> associated with black and gray color scheme. Black uh, obviously being the universal anarchist uh, color. And then <clears throat> gray, kind of referring to what they call the gray market. There's the black market, which is like totally off the books. And then there's the gray market where you may be using funds that go in and out of the system at some point, but your transactions are not monitored and they're not part of the system. <clears throat> For a lot of people, old school people, um, they were already semi-agorists if they did any kind of independent uh, private transactions. And that could be anything from, you know, selling your materials for cash at a, you know, a bazaar or a farmer's market, uh, all the way down to... <clears throat> just, you know, working for cash or what they used to call under the table job. Um, making money that the system doesn't have a record of how you made this money, right? <clears throat> a lot of people who were in the gray and black markets through physical cash are starting to get real scared as the Panopticon is closing in and all of the cameras are, bloop, 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 all the eyeballs are everywhere, right? <clears throat> so how do you go around this system? How, how do you have a black or gray market once they start eliminating cash. <clears throat> Some people are really scared about that. Well, you know, there's not going to be uh, any type of private transactions. Uh, you know, if once they get rid of cash, that's it, you know. So I'm here to tell you that's not necessarily the case. If they get rid of cash, uh, yeah, it sucks and it'll make things more difficult. But there are solutions. And one of those solutions today that I want to talk about is dun, 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 cryptocurrency. What the fuck is cryptocurrency, bro? Isn't that like uh, digital money and that the government, and the, the mark of the beast, the 666, and that they're all got No, 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 no. <clears throat> a lot of people have a lot of misunderstandings about digital currencies. Um, first of all, central bank digital currencies 
were until very recently primarily theoretical, uh, but they have become a reality. Uh, <clears throat> now, what a central bank or a CDBC, central, I'm sorry, a CBDC, uh, central bank digital currency means that just that they're not using cash. They're instead of printing money to cause your inflation, they're minting digital coins to cause your inflation. Doesn't it works the same way? <clears throat> they just make more useless money and, and it, it devalues itself, and that's how inflation works. Uh, so you'll still have your traditional ups and downs uh, of the stupid fiat currency market, fiat meaning government issued um, currency that doesn't have any actual gold value. We don't have a gold standard, so it doesn't have any value in a fiat currency or a government currency other than the public's trust in that government to back up their currency. <clears throat> Hence inflation in the American market why <laughs> it, it, it keeps costing more and more dollars to buy the same product because the dollar itself is worth less and less because there's less and less faith in the currency, especially when you print uh, most of the money in circulation now, most of the cash in circulation now was printed since Biden's been in office. Uh, so then I'll tell you, you know, you can talk about Putin all day long and all, yeah, wars do raise prices a little bit, but we're already on this trend of inflation because of uh, Mr. Printy Pants over there at the Fed, okay? Um, but anyway, we need to get away from central bank currencies, right? Be they cash or digital. And I think a lot of people misunderstood that you're not really in the total black market using American cash because in the end, it's still American cash. You're still using the government's money and it's only valued as much as people have faith in that government. Um, and that's hard for a lot of people to accept that especially that are older people um, <clears throat> who grew up with a, with a gold standard and in the way that the market changed the, the the value of the fiat currency minus the gold standard it changes it like so much right it changes it so much that it's almost like a different world you're living in um so we're going to go over a little bit of um basic terminology related to cryptocurrency so you can understand how you can use cryptocurrency in an agorist way and the difference between a, a true cryptocurrency and a central bank digital currency. Yes, they're both digital money, okay? But they are not the same. All right, so... When people say hold, or they'll sometimes they'll misspell it, H-O-D-L, hold, 
That just means to hold on to or to not sell your crypto coins. Okay, and when I say coins, these are digital coins. You only ever see them on the screen. You will never hold them in your hand. Deal with it. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear people in crypto referring to their bag. That's just your wallet, how much coins you have, right? Uh, if you drop a bag, that means you sold off your holdings, right? You, you no longer have that bag. You dropped the bag. Uh, there's a lot of the traditional market terminology in crypto, uh, like dip. Obviously, a dip is when the price goes down. When it's pumping, it's going up. Same thing like if you're talking about the stock market, right? Um, if you look at crypto forums, things like that, uh, <clears throat> you'll see people telling you to buy the dip. And that's a strategy of like buying coins when the prices drop so you can get increased potential profits when it pumps again. And then, you know, buy low, sell high. Basic market stuff that you know from the regular market still applies in crypto, okay? Uh, panic selling, you know, knee-jerk reactions to a dip in price and you just sell off most or all of your assets. Um, panic selling usually happens by people who have what we call paper hands. Weak, worthless hands, who, people who can't hold on to their coins and they just panic sell. And that's considered the opposite of diamond hands, which means hard, steel, almost unbreakable, valuable hands of people who continue to hold or hold, whatever you want to call it. Um, when you're looking at your market of your prices of your crypto going up and down, little green and red sticks, they'll call that candles because they're shaped like candles. A DEX or a DEX, and this is where you need to start paying attention where it's different from the regular market. Uh, a DEX is a decentralized exchange. And that's a place like usually you can access it through an app or a website or something. Uh, but it's a decentralized platform for trading cryptocurrencies uh, or purchasing cryptocurrencies with your fiat currency on some of them, depending on the function. Um, and then you also hear about something called an airdrop, where if there's a new coin or something, that they'll give out a bunch of free coins and stuff. But usually those are fake, just for the record. If you start getting into crypto and people are sending you DMs about an airdrop, it's almost like it's most likely not real. Nobody's giving out free money uh, that commonly. It happens occasionally. Airdrops do happen, but they're rare. Okay. Um, and when people are saying that their coin is going to the moon, that means the price is going really high. Okay. Now, when we want to talk about agorism and the black and gray market, what you really want to pay attention to in crypto is KYC, and that's know your customer. What level of privacy and security are you comfortable with? And what 
are you doing with your coins or potentially going to do with your coins? Uh, and how private do you need that to be? We can talk about all different types of investing and all that type of stuff that you'll see in the crypto world. But when we're talking about using for agorist markets, it's not really about the price and the value of each coin, right? It's more about the value to you as a person who wants privacy and security. Um, so KYC means know your customer. And when people first get into cryptocurrencies, uh, at some point, they're probably going to deal with something that's KYC, a platform that believes in knowing their customer, which means you have to put some information. Uh, it requires personal information of any kind is considered KYC, okay? Uh, most mainstream exchanges like uh, Coinbase or Binance, um, those, they're going to ask you for an ID, like a state-issued ID, and possibly more personal information. Some of them get real deep with what they ask you. Uh, but to use non-KYC platforms like TradeOgre, uh, for example, it does not ask any personal info and it has no personally identifiable information. True, true non-KYC platforms must also not use any type of credit card information, obviously, because that's traceable. Uh, most non-KYC platforms are going to use crypto funds only. So you, like I said, that's why I said at some point you probably will deal with KYC and just to get into the crypto market. Um, but there are ways to do to skip over that, which I'll tell you in a minute. But most people come into it, they buy some coins on something mainstream like Coinbase or it's one of these apps you can buy in the um, Google or the Android or the iPhone stores or whatever. And they'll start their crypto journey that way. But you don't have to, okay? You can go completely no KYC and nobody in the crypto world can ever know that you have you as a person ever bought crypto ever. Um, there are some options uh, such as what they call local Bitcoin or local Monero, uh, where you can trade coins for hard cash in person or through the mail. And I know that sounds super duper shady, but it it's actually done regularly without problem. Uh, and you have to be careful and alert using these types of methods, of course. But we'll talk about that. We'll get to the next deeper level. Right now, we're just going over basic terms. So, um, by the way, if you want a full list, like a little glossary that goes into uh, more depth, I do run a crypto channel on Telegram called Coins and Candles. Um, and it's if you go to t.me slash coins and candles, spelled out all one word, coins and candles, uh, you can check out my crypto channel. I don't post there like every day. It's not like, you know, day to day market updates. 
because uh, it's not really just about investing. Uh, it's also about agorism and, and privacy and everything. Oh, sorry. It looks like we've only got 90 seconds left to call in. And by the way, don't forget, it's always the same phone number if you would like to call in, which I don't know. People don't call in on a lot of shows, but people don't call in on this one either. But uh, so if you can always give us a call, 515-602-9751. Uh, but, but back to privacy coins. Um, privacy coins are a special type of um, fungible cryptocurrency coins. And what, what does fungibility mean? Fungibility means that they can't tell the difference between one coin to the other. Like, let's say you had a press in the old Roman days for coins, and you just poured a certain weight of gold in it and crushed it and moved the next one. Boom, boom. And you use the same mold for everyone. That would be a fungible coin. You can't, they don't, they're not marked with numbers. Um, they're not, even American cash is not fully fungible because they have numbers on it, right? Um, but a truly fungible coin means that each coin is non-unique. And it scrubs the previous data attached to the coin. So this gives your coins a fresh start. And it's especially uh, useful if you accept coins as a payment from the public. Like, let's say you run a lemonade stand, just for example, and you decide that you only accept crypto payments. Um, but you don't know the history of who these people are that you're accepting the money from. You just know that they want lemonade, right? So what you do is you, you use fungible coins. And then if you're unsure about the background, like say that these coins are previously used in a crime or something like that, um, that's all scrubbed. So essentially the coding and privacy coins erases uh, the electronic paper trail of where those funds have been before. Um, examples would be Monero and Pirate Chain. Um, and we're going to talk about Monero, M-O-N-E-R-O, a little bit more, uh, also known as XMR. That's the uh, symbol for the coins, XMR. Um, now you're going to hear a lot about other different types of coins, shit coins, which obviously are shitty coins or coins that are not stable. And then stable coins, which would be like something like Bitcoin um, or Ethereum, which we're going to talk about the globalist uh, influx in crypto uh, via Ethereum in a moment. Um, but th that's a stable coin. Those are considered like it has a stable value. Even if the value has dropped, people know that it's going to go back up, right? It's not like, oh, that coin is is garbage instead. Like you see um, the globalists and the plutocrats get involved in crypto in uh, NFTs, right? Everybody's heard about NFTs. I've done uh, NFTs, um, but 
what an NFT is, is a non-fungible token. And that's the opposite, complete opposite of a privacy coin. An NFT, all the data and everything about everywhere that that's been is in there, right? So these are non-interchangeable digital assets that are stored on a blockchain. I don't want to get too deep in the technology of what the blockchain is, but basically it's a digital open public ledger that has all of the transactions on it, but they're anonymized as numbers. It doesn't say, you know, Bob sent Tony 20 Bitcoins. It says this number sent 20 Bitcoins to this other number, whatever. Okay. Um, now, NFTs usually take the form of like a picture or some type of file, video, audio file. Uh, and they usually involve something called a smart contract. And they're becoming more and more popular. As you know, everybody was doing NFTs, um, you know, apes and, and yacht clubs and all this shit, right? Uh, they're popular as a way for artists to collect royalties because, as I said, all of that data is stored in there. So it's not like in the regular art world where somebody could just steal your painting and resell it or they could copy it and resell all that type of stuff. And this is a certificate of that being that exact thing. So there's no privacy there, right? Because it's not meant to have privacy in the NFT realm. It's meant to be very open and it's on the Ethereum blockchain, which just got an upgrade, by the way. Um, but that's the most common NFT thing you'll hear is this, this coin called Ethereum. <clears throat> now, there's other types of coins that you can make NFTs on, uh, like Ravencoin blockchain has NFTs as well. But the biggest and most popular one is Ethereum. So Ethereum is where the plutocrats are at, okay? Ethereum, um, first of all, there's been questionable comments by one of the main founders and developers of Ethereum uh, that sounded like he was okay with pedophilia. So a lot of people were just turned off from Ethereum, which by the way, the symbol for that is ETH, uh, were really turned off by this guy Vitalik. He was creepy looking and is it, he was basically saying that like something about the age of consent, some offensive tweets, right? Uh, but Klaus Schwab has Ethereum. So that can just tell you right there enough about Ethereum that you want to stay away from it. But they also had a recent upgrade to their blockchain that made it even more plutocratic other than obviously utilizing the panopticon, the panopticon aspects of NFTs. Um, but the upgrade to the Ethereum blockchain means that it's now for rich people, essentially. It was already a little bit pricey and functioned where you kind of know that, yeah, rich people fuck with Ethereum. But it now has moved to a 
proof of stake protocol rather than a proof of work. And again, don't want to get too technical, but essentially proof of work is the traditional crypto mining. Mining means creating new coins, uh, minting new coins, making actually making the money, right? Uh, you can only mine Ethereum now uh, with proof of stake rather than proof of work. Now, the proof of work meant that people bought these real expensive computers and the computer did a bunch of basically really hard equations, a bunch of hard math. It's spinning, it's got fans on it to keep it cool and shit. And that is how you made the coin. So you would just sit there and, well, I don't have the best computer, but it'll it'll keep going and it'll, and it'll go slow and keep minting me coins. You get more of the computers going, you, you can mint more of the coins, right? Um, and obviously people, if they got more high powered machines, they can mint more coins in a shorter time. They can make money independently. Now, Ethereum is, and there are a couple other coins that do this too. I think uh, Internet Computer is another Panopticon coin you want to avoid. Uh, but Ethereum basically, as well as Internet Computer, are based on proof of stake, meaning buy more disk space rather than do more work. So translate that into layman's basic terms uh you have to buy land to be able to work rather than just do work and get paid for it you have to buy land to be able to work to make money that's the equivalent like you know so Ethereum is the plutocrat's realm. It's also extremely traceable. So you ain't going to find no love for Ethereum uh, up on this show tonight or any other night. Uh, but that is the crypto of the elite, is Ethereum. Maybe it was something about the weird futuristic sounding name of it. I don't know. Maybe the Vitalik guy is wrapped up with some weird uh, shit. I don't know, but that's what it is. There's there's a culture in the crypto world and Ethereum is not for your agorists, for your anti-establishment, anti-government types. Okay, so stay away from Ethereum. I mean, unless you specifically want to do an NFT art thing, right? Um, what you want are privacy coins and the best privacy coin hands down is Monero. XMR fluctuates in price. I don't know what the price is right now, but it's 100% fungible. It is not going to let you down and rat you out. Uh, you know, Monero's like Rick Astley. <laughs> It's never going to let you down and it's never going to give you up to the feds. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
basically Monero is what you want to be using. You want Monero uh, and to just to tell you that the plutocrats see Monero as a threat. Klaus Schwab himself said that we need uh, to add a safety backdoor to the Monero encryption to protect the supply chain from cyber hacks. Nobody was cyber hacking the Monero blockchain except for Klaus Schwab, okay? And it's still there. It resisted, so fuck off. Um, but Monero, you will find a very rebellious culture in the Monero circles. You may come across some extreme politics uh, looking in Monero chats and things like that. You may find some, I don't know, uh, white supremacists, black supremacists, Chinese supremacists, uh, anarchists, anybody who is potentially worried about being doxxed or the government find out what they're doing, any type of shadiness at all, right? Any type of shadiness you want to do, Monero is the thing you want to do with it. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to monero.org. Um, but, all right, how do I get this Monero? Where do I get it at? What is, what is it? This is all Greek to me. It makes no freaking sense. I do not understand. So, there's ATMs, bro, bro, there's ATMs. Check it out. Monero ATMs are not very common. However, crypto ATMs are every fucking where in America, you just have to search. You may have gone past a crypto ATM and not even know what the fuck it was and not even notice it. Um, if you live near a college campus or any place that has any type of international traffic, there will definitely be crypto ATMs available. Um, the one that I am familiar with is CoinFlip. That's what I use. There are other ones that are apparently more KYC that ask you for like a handprint or an ID. Don't use those. I am not recommending to use those. I don't know who runs those, what the deal is, whatever. But what you want to do is get you a burner phone. You know what a burner is? That means just you go to the dollar store or some cheap place and you get like a, you know, $40 phone. 30, I don't know, however much they cost nowadays. With inflation, maybe they're 50, I don't know. You get one of these phones and you just get a burner, which means that you haven't provided much personal information uh, to get the phone. You just pay some money and then you paid for like a card, like a some airtime card, right? And you get a phone number. The phone number may even be temporary. Okay. Um, but what you need for a crypto ATM is a phone number. Because they're going to send you a text. Okay. And it's going to have a code. So 
that's the only area where there's a little bit of your own information being potentially shared. So that's why I say don't use your own cell phone. Get a burner. Uh, so you get a burner and you go to the coin flip ATM with cash, cash money. If you don't have cash money, you can go with other crypto funds and show uh, like, you know, those QR codes, everybody's crypto wallet that you keep your money in, which is basically just like an app that you can access your your, your money in. Um, so you go and whatever it takes at the crypto machine, as long as it's not too much personal information, if it's not coin flip, you can use another brand. I'm not a coin flip promoter or in, uh, ambassador or anything, but that's just the one I'm most familiar with. If, if there's another brand, just don't give them too much information is what I'm saying. Uh, but with a coin flip, you can just use a burner phone, get a code and Oh, before going up to the ATM, you need to get yourself a wallet. And I'll teach you how to set that up. But what you're going to do is um, you get the wallet and then you go to the ATM. And the cool thing about the um, crypto ATM is that it has multiple different coins. Well, obviously, like I said, don't buy Ethereum. Um a lot of them buy have Dogecoin or even Bitcoin, and you can take any of those to a non-KYC exchange and swap them out for Monero. And that's how you get Monero. Um, that's one way, but let me just show you an example um, of a QR code, like that's QR code for my Bitcoin wallet, right? Or one of my Bitcoin wallets. And um, you will hold that code in front of the screen at the um, crypto ATM and that's how it knows where to send your money. So let's say I want to buy $50 worth of crypto. This is what I would do. I set up my wallet online. I go physically to the ATM with cash and I want to get Let's say Dogecoin. I go up there. I say I want $50 Dogecoin. Enter up, up, up. Show them my wallet, where to send them, what address to send it to. They give you a little receipt. Bada boom, bada bing. You wait a few minutes, maybe an hour, whatever. Your coins will be in your wallet. So then you take that wallet, and every wallet has an address. You take your address and you go to, say, Trade Ogre. And you will then 
utilize the function, just follow the directions. I mean, every website is going to have directions. Uh, and it'll tell you, you know, where you can purchase or you can buy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the best online wallet, in my opinion, is the Edge wallet. It's a multi-coin wallet, and you can keep all different types of cryptos in there, including Monero. However, if you really, 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 really want to be private, online storage is not the most secure and private. doesn't mean that people are going to be able to break in and take your funds out of your Edge wallet. But if they're super, super duper savvy, there may be some way that they can possibly figure out that the Edge wallet is you because there is some minimal KYC to the Edge wallet itself. Um, like it requires like an email address and stuff like that, right? But the safest and most secure way to store crypto, especially privacy coins, because you're trying to be private, is offline. People go, it's digital. How the fuck do I store it offline? I don't understand. It still exists in the blockchain, which is online, yes. But your wallet optimally should not be accessible from the internet without a direct connection. And you're gonna be like, what the fuck does that mean? How does it so, so there's something called a hardware wallet. Okay? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about a hardware wallet, which is a tiny, tiny little device here. Can you see the text on there? Oh, it's upside down. It says virus in numerus. Strength in numbers. Um, this little device is the safest way to store your crypto funds, all right? It has, once you open it, a little screen. Actually, I should do it that way. And the buttons are on the top. And you need to connect this to something and have an app, which for this, this is Ledger. Ledger has its own app uh, that you can access and look at your funds if you need to. This is sealed. You could sit your money in here. I know people who've had hard wallets uh, since Bitcoin began. And they've been sitting on that wallet for 20-some you know, years. Or 10 plus, whatever, 15 years. Um, and it will not open on its own. Nothing will happen to your crypto Unless you fuck up. <laughs> if you physically lose this, 
you can still access your funds though, as long as you have maintained your private keys, which is the crypto equivalent of a really, really complex password. That's a whole bunch of words. It's not just like, oh, you know, happy cats, one, two, three, uh, you know, it's, it's their fucking like 20 sentences. It'll be like, you know, liver, hat, bank, shoe, pizza, eagle. I don't know, just random things. I'm just thinking of random, like looking around. Uh, but it'll be like a, a whole shitload of random words that relate to the address that's your wallet to be able to access this if you lose it. But these are fucking expensive, so don't lose it, okay? Because just even getting... Like just this one, you're gonna pay like like at least like almost like a hundred bucks, you know, um, or something like that. I don't remember. Maybe it was less than that, but it was near a hundred bucks. So it's an expensive little device, but you're paying for the fact that you have this offline security. Okay. Now there are many ways that you can store your passwords. Obviously, digitally is probably not one of the ones that you should use. You should also not write down your passwords or your keys uh, in any kind of easily accessible uh, place. You should encode them if you can. Their uh, ledger actually sells um, something called the bill photal, which I actually have one, but I have to dig it out right now and I'm not going to. Uh, which is a metallic thing that you put a little metal clasp lock thing on it and you can put suggestions of your pass key in there. They don't, obviously you don't want to put you, the full words. So you put like the first three letters, the first four letters or something of each word um, of your pass key because it's a lot of words you're not going to just remember it. So forget about that. Unless you're a beautiful mind or some shit, you're not going to fucking remember your password, um, your pass keys. But if you don't have pass keys, it's not your crypto, not your keys, not your crypto. So if you have money on something like Coinbase, that's an exchange. That's not your personal wallet. If you don't have that, long bunch of sets of words and shit to to get into and access uh your your wallet remotely then you are not the one holding your money someone else is simple as this if you can reset your password that means someone else has that password and can reset it for you if you if you can ask for a password reset and someone can send you that that means that there's someone higher than you controlling your wallet, your funds, okay? Examples would be Coinbase, Binance, any of those places. If you want to use those and just play the market, that's fine. But you put a little bit of your money in there for the purpose of using their exchange and playing their market. Do not store your coins on an exchange. They can decide to freeze your account and boom. You don't have no fucking money. Perfect example is I had some XRP, some Ripple, who it turns out, I guess they're like 
turned evil or whatever, but I had some Ripple in Coinbase. The SEC came down on Ripple and Coinbase suspended trading of Ripple. And so now I have just Ripple just sitting in there that I can't do anything with. And until the SEC gets done with investigating Ripple, um, the company that, that made the XRP coin, uh, I, I literally just have money sitting there that I can't do shit with, okay? So learn, not like I did, but just learn from what I did. Don't store your coins on an exchange. Only put a little bit in there that you're going to use for trading and then take it back out, okay? Uh, and that refers to any type of exchange, even KYC exchanges. You want to have your own wallet, not your keys, not your crypto. Okay. If you don't have keys to the wallet, it's not your fucking wallet. If anybody else has keys to it, it's not exclusively yours. Okay. So there's a lot of research to be done. I know I'm throwing a lot of big ideas and words and concepts out there but just remember this hard wallet if you need to figure out how to use it look it up d-y-o-r do your own research but the way that this works on this particular one this is ledger and ledger has many different models um but you connect this it's got a little Thing there, and you run this other end to your device. It can be a tablet, laptop, whatever, and you should have the ledger application on there. But let me tell you something Monero is not on the default ledger app. You can see that you have a Monero wallet and the little word Monero will come up on the screen, you know, uh, but even though you have Monero in here, Monero is so private that the Ledger app can't read it and you have to get a Monero specific app. I recommend Monerujo, M-O-N, E-R-U-J-O um, as an interface to access your Monero. It's very simple interface. It's simple to use. It's free to download. And I have had no problems with it. I have transferred from one Monero wallet to another successfully and very quickly using Monero Rougeau. Um, uh, with my Ledger Nano. So get you a Ledger or other cryptocurrency hard wallet. Um, <clears throat> and hit up the crypto ATM with some cash. Don't ever invest more in crypto than you can afford to lose. Pretend like you're gambling. Because number one, you're new to it. You might fuck it up. You might get your coins locked up someplace and learn a hard lesson. Uh, because if you, if you lose your pass keys or something like that. Um, but in the end, all the information is out there. Research the crypto. 
look into those privacy coins, okay? And you'll see lots of alternative media and weird things accepting Monero. Um, I'm actually going to put my Monero address in the description of this uh, as, as soon as we're done here. Uh, so you can send me some Monero <laughs> just to practice. Just send me some money. I'm not sending it back, <laughs> but just for practice, you can you can pay me for uh, teaching you about this wonderful new world <laughs> of of the of economics. Uh, but Monero, you can convert to other currencies if you need to. So if you're like, I need to do something that's above board with these people and they don't accept Monero, they only take Bitcoin or whatever. You can trade your Monero for Bitcoin uh, or for whatever coin that they accept. Of course, sometimes there are fees. Obviously, currency exchanges traditionally have fees, right? Um, but if you're not using Ethereum, the fees aren't super high. That's the other thing about Ethereum that makes it anti-populist. It's an extremely high transaction fees. You'll go into something and it'll say, oh, this is free. But you just have to pay the Ethereum gas fees. And then you're like, oh, you mean it's $80? Okay. That's what you're dealing with. Um with that but i mean you can mess with dogecoin all these different ones just for investing or to for fun to learn how to play with crypto use ones that are a little bit less valuable and stuff like that you know or any of these other shit coins you know like i think you can tell from the name what a shit coin is um but look into getting a cryptocurrency hard wallet if you cannot immediately afford the hard wallet, where you're like, I have $100 to buy some crypto, but I don't have $200 to also buy a hard wallet, get the Edge wallet online and you can use your cash at the crypto ATM and send it to your Edge wallet. Um, the Edge wallet is pretty self-explanatory, but there's some tutorials on YouTube on how to use Edge crypto wallet, um, but you can get it in the Play Store. Um, it does not, like I said, it's not as secure as a hardware wallet, but from my research, it's the most secure version of an online wallet that you can have, and it's free. So get you an Edge wallet if you cannot afford a Ledger Nano. And I know under, um, there's also Trezor and other cryptocurrency hard wallets. I don't know the prices of them, but whatever. Um, if you cannot afford the wallet and the crypto, just get the crypto and put it in that Edge wallet. Um, but learn about it. Learn about it now. You may be like, ah, oh, cash is king and all that shit. When they stop making the shit and it becomes completely worthless, cash will no longer be king. So you're going to have to figure out how to use these digital currencies, even if you're against it, unless you want to go back to using, you know, the barter system and gold and things like that, which 
is totally cool too. But just to be honest, if you're going to want to order things for people or, you know, deal with people online, especially if you're dealing in the kind of, you know, seedy underbelly of politics, uh, you want a privacy coin. You want privacy. Um, and privacy coins like Monero and Pirate Chain as well. But Pirate Chain requires a little bit more technical expertise. And um, the app is fairly large. Um, and it's too large for my phone. So I, I don't use Pirate Chain for that reason. Just because uh, it also, you know, it just... It's not accessible enough yet. There's not enough options for it. Um, but let me take a, just a moment to talk about that local Monero, though, about buying it with cash in person rather than a um, ATM. Local Monero, just look up local Monero. Um, I, I believe it's localmonero.org, um, but I might be wrong about the URL. Um, but local Monero is a system in which people are ranked and they are Monero traders, sellers. If you have cash and you want to buy Monero, now there's some people on there that will take a credit card as well. Uh, but I personally wouldn't use a credit card, um, if I was trying to be super discreet, right? So if you want to deal with these people, you can meet somebody in person. If you're in a major city, you're more likely uh, to be able to meet a local Monero person in person. But there is also a system um, where people do it through the mail. Sometimes there's a third party that acts as an escrow. Okay, well, we won't give the coins until this person, until they get the money, or they won't hand them the money until they get the coins, whatever. Um, Look into that, but if you're new to the crypto world, I would not recommend just hopping into local Monero because you have to be alert on any type of thing where you're dealing directly with people. And if you're not that aware of all the terminology and if you're just, just not that used to it yet, you could potentially get scammed. Now, I haven't heard of anybody getting scammed off of local Monero yet, but you never are 100%. Um, so I hope I learned y'all a little bit about crypto and why and how it can allow you to function outside of the, um, Panopticon finance system. Um, do follow the coins and candles channel. I will be putting a link, uh, in the description to that as well. Um, now I'm going to pivot a little bit, um, and talk about the, I guess, political side of crypto. Um, you can under FEC rules, accept crypto funds for political campaigns. 
However, I don't believe they allow you to use privacy coins. Um, you're going to be using something approved like BitPay or something. Um, and they don't allow Monero. So you're going to have to use something like Bitcoin or Litecoin or something uh, if you're trying to use crypto for a political campaign uh, that... Federal Election Commission, the FEC, not to be confused with the SEC, which is uh, the Securities uh, Commission, which is going after Ribble, but the FEC, <laughs> uh, they're pretty strict about campaign finance stuff. And so, no, I do not accept crypto for my... Uh, campaign and I don't accept anything you know I'm running a zero dollar campaign um so yeah if you're sending me Monero um it's not for my campaign and it won't be used for my campaign so don't expect like oh man how come you didn't win or something I sent you a bitcoin or something I don't know uh but just, just to clarify that there are some things that you cannot uh, use Monero for. Um, and if you're a political candidate, that that is one of them. Okay. Um, so the election, speaking of the election commission and the campaign, uh, I'm going to just wrap it up on the crypto tip and say just go to the Coins and Candles Telegram if you want to learn more or just do your own research, take the information I've got you, pick out a couple of those words, let them stick in your head and Google them or Bing or DuckDuckGo, whatever the fuck you use, whatever, doesn't matter. It's all pan out to count anyway. Uh, but Let's talk about the upcoming election. As y'all know, I am running for Congress uh, in the 17th Congressional District as a write-in independent candidate because, you know, both parties are a bunch of suckers. And I have challenged my opponents, the Republican and the Democrat, to a debate. I have tagged them on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and I posted a video on Instagram. Uh, but I find it interesting that Instagram did not allow me to post this video. I kept trying to, and, and I posted a screenshot of how it said video cannot be posted. Each time that I tried to upload into Instagram, I had to go into my video editing app And then just click save like I was saving it again and share it from there. And only then was I able to actually get this video to Instagram. Um, but yes, I have challenged them to a debate. As you may know, I was a debater in high school. I did Lincoln Douglas debate, Model UN, Student Congress was the main thing uh, that I was used to. Uh, hence why I think that you know, going in the congressional, I already know parliamentary procedure. All of that uh, is, is very familiar to me, that whole system. 
and I also did policy debate where you come in with like a big giant like Tupperware full of papers, but now I guess they probably have it just like a laptop, you know, you used to have to have some muscles to do policy debate because you had to bring all these books and <laughs> printed out information regarding your policies. Uh, but now I'm sure it's, it's, it's a bunch of lightweights in there. But um, I like debating. I don't know why these chumps would not want to debate me. Maybe they're not as intelligent as me. Maybe they can't tell you what agorism is. Maybe they don't know how to use cryptocurrency. Maybe they have no useful information for the public whatsoever, perhaps. I'm just saying that could be a reason why they don't want to uh, give me any publicity because it would make them look bad. Because if they were truly confident, either one of them, they would, they would be like, hey, oh, yeah, I'll debate this person. I'll make them look like a fool. They're just some, you know, broke-ass, working-class person that doesn't know politics. I'm so smart. Come, show me how smart you are, motherfuckers. Here's the challenge that I put out. I am trying to get both Esther Joy King and Eric Sorensen to debate me live, publicly, for people to discern between the candidates and what their real policies are and, of course, whether they can actually answer questions about their policies on the spot without a teleprompter. The thing is, I don't think either one of them is actually even ready to debate each other, let alone someone who actually understands politics like me. So let's see what happens. Well, so far what has happened is that both of them have looked at my story on Instagram, because you can see who viewed your story. So, yeah, I saw you, Esther Joy King and Eric Sorensen, looking at my story, but I haven't heard any response on uh, whether y'all, either one of you wants to debate. I think it would be great. I wrote on Twitter that we could donate it to help the Illinois homeless population uh, who are, in my opinion, offensively, being evicted in Bloomington, which is a few towns away from me, um, from private property. A man has private property and he's letting some homeless people put tents, you know, on his, on his basically backyard or, and, and they are going to shut him down and they're evicting the people and off of his private property. He's letting them live there, but they're like, uh, unsightly or something so they need to be moved meanwhile chicago is receiving all these illegal immigrants from texas and they send them out to nice hotels in burr ridge without telling the mayor of course you know illinois is a shit show folks you know it is um but it doesn't have to be it doesn't fucking have to be Elections are so disheartening nowadays because you never know what level of fairness, how many votes were actually counted. And nobody has faith in it. On either side, in 2016, everybody was like, Trump stole the election. Now, 2020, everybody's like, Biden stole the election. Maybe they both did. Maybe neither did. The point is, the public clearly has no faith in the electoral system, but 
it's the system that we have in this country right now. And unless y'all are ready to start kicking it off for real and fucking booging down, it ain't about to go no other kind of way. So let's try and still have faith in the political solution. Guys who are the plutocrats uh, and the oligarchs that affect the elections and who, you know, own big tech and do things like election interference and uh, buying ballot boxes and deleting candidates' profiles, all that type of shit. Just remember that the more you piss people off about these elections and the more that they have no faith in them, the less that they'll believe that there's a political solution and you know what that means. So just put that out there, folks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for the night, though. Please study your crypto stuff. Get out of this panopticon shit, you know, because it just takes the next 9-11 or the next coronavirus before they try and do some more shit to make you basically subservient to them. So don't let them do that to you. Stay free, and I will see you on Wednesday. Soon we're gonna boil the soup away. We are boiling alphabet soup.